We are not to be dependent on religious shadows. We are not to delight in religious experience. We are not to submit to religious decrees because they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. But instead, we should be setting our focus on the person of Christ, setting our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ, and we are going to be with him in future glory. Thanks for joining us for this Thursday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. Greg, the world is looking for peace, both globally and personally. Yes, it is, Dave, but the world's not going to find it apart from Jesus Christ. And yet there are so many who know the Lord who are not living in the context of the peace of Christ. Well, what do I mean? Well, let's turn our Bibles where we're going to see that it is God's will for his peace through his son, Jesus Christ, to rule our hearts. Turn with us to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 15. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Think about the conflicts that are going on right now, the lack of peace in our world, wars and rumors of wars, things going on. Think about your own life, how certain circumstances can come upon you and that peace that is so desired is gone in a second. The reality is we desire peace. Now, the world has its own way of giving peace. Jesus shared that he gives his peace not as the world gives. The world has a peace, but it's not the Lord's peace. But Jesus does give peace. And with that in mind, we're going to see that we, as believers, are to have the right heart attitudes, that we, as we follow the Lord Jesus, are to be allowing his peace to rule our hearts. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verse 15 today. And we're going to begin to see the heart attitudes we are to put on in the context of putting on Christ, where our hearts are to be in that context. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing the Colossian church. He is imprisoned in Rome under house arrest, 62 AD about. And although he has never visited them personally, he has heard from Epaphras concerning their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for one another, but also that there are threats to their faith. There are those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. There are serious threats. There are serious threats in the context that they are trying to come along and pull them away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We see that these arguments were aimed at how we deal with our flesh. We see in the end of chapter 2, he says, but these things, what the bad guys were saying, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They're of no value. False teachers were proposing a way to deal with the believer's ongoing struggle with fleshly indulgence. The reality is we do struggle. We still have this body of flesh. We don't want to sin. Our spirits have been redeemed, but we do. And we yield at times. We don't want to. And so bad guys were coming around giving them a system or a way to keep themselves from sinning, but they're of no value. So what is the Apostle Paul's solution to this dilemma? It is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, thanking God, first of all, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love. Chapter 1, and secondly, in that context, praying that they would come to the full knowledge of his will. They'd walk in the full knowledge of his will, and that would be manifest in their behavior. And within that, he began to give a picture of who Jesus truly is. Jesus, first of all, he is the Redeemer, and in him we have forgiveness of sins. 
And he is also the supreme Lord of the first creation. Through him and by him all things were created for him. And he is also the supreme Lord of the new creation, the body of Christ. He is preeminent. He is fully God and man. And he died to reconcile us in order to present us holy and blameless beyond reproach. He is a totally sufficient Savior. And after having made clear concerning who Christ is and him being totally sufficient, the Apostle Paul, in light of the bad guys he would talk about in chapter 2, begins to share what biblical ministry should look like in the body of Christ. And we saw that. We saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering, those who preach and teach the Word of God fully. We saw that they are those who preach God's message. Christ proclaimed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we saw the method that God uses. Christ proclaimed by His power with the goal, maturity and completeness for everybody in the body of Christ. And then in chapter 2, He began to share His deep concern and struggle for them admonishing them not to be deluded with persuasive arguments, not to be spiritually kidnapped by worldly deceptive religious arguments that subtly pull us away from trusting Christ, and that we in Him have been made complete, that we have a complete salvation from a Savior who is fully God and fully man, and in Him, as I mentioned, we are complete. So therefore, as we have received Christ, we are to walk in Him, the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. We're to resist those false teachers. We're not to let them kidnap us, in a sense. We're not to let them shipwreck our faith with legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. We are not to be dependent on religious shadows. We are not to delight in religious experience. We are not to submit to religious decrees because they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. But instead, we should be setting our minds, our focus on the person of Christ, setting our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ, and we are going to be with him in future glory. So keep seeking the things above. And therefore, we see how we are to think and we're to focus on Christ, but then how are we to act? We're to put to death sexual sin. We're to not let it live in our lives. Because of our union with Christ, we don't need to let it live. Put it to death. And we're to put off those things, those attitudes that are contrary to our Savior. We're to put off those things that our old nature lived in, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, those things. We're to put them off. And we are to clothe ourselves with Christ, since in position we have put aside the old man and we have taken on the new man by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are to put those things on, and within that, as we clothe ourselves with his compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, long-suffering, forgiving one another. If we have any complaints against anyone, we're to forgive, right? And as we do that, we're to put on love. It's the sash that brings it all together, which is the perfect bond of unity. And it's from this point, after saying what we took off and what we put on, like a dirty garment, throwing it off and putting on these characteristics in Christ, that we are given the heart attitudes behind what we are to do. And so we come to our passage today where I believe we're to see that we are to have his peace ruling our hearts as believers. I'm going to read the passage here, Colossians chapter 3.15, but I'm going to back up to verse 12 so we can read into it. I'm going to read past it also, okay? Because our passage goes all the way up to verse 17, and then we have specific applications in specific relationships of how Christ within our lives is lived out. Verse 12, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then here's our passage. And, notice the and, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's what we're going to look at today, but I want to keep reading. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So then, today we're going to see those who are putting to death sin, those who are setting it off, those who are tearing it off like a garment, saying no to it, who are putting on Christ, the character of Christ, as we set our minds on things above, that we're to let something happen. And we're going to see that we as believers should be those who have the most peace anywhere. We shouldn't be those who are all upset and bent out of shape about everything in our lives. Something's wrong if that's happening. But God is good. He wants to teach us. He wants to help us understand. And that's why we have his word to cause us to be more like Christ. So here, we're going to see that we're to continually let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. We're going to see what that means. It sounds really simple. It's not simple. As I say this, I said, this is complex. Lord, I don't understand this. you got to help me. There's some words that have some difficult meaning in here. And it's hard, so we've got to ask God to give us wisdom on what he intended, and he will. The Spirit of God will teach us. So here, he says, verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now before we get a closer look at our passage, there are two commands. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that's the first one. And the second one is, and be thankful. And these are imperative commands. Now, you have the term let, it kind of doesn't sound like a command. Like it talks about let the word of Christ towards you, it's the same thing, it's a command. It's not really let, it's do it. It really is. It's an imperative command. And then did you notice our passage began with the term and? You know, if I was to say and, let's go to the store. There's something I've connected that to, right? It doesn't just sit by itself. And so this passage, and this is helpful for interpreting this, It is connected to what was previously said. Very important. It's going to help us. It's going to help us. Indeed, as I mentioned in review already, we who have been raised with Christ are to keep seeking the things above, the things of Christ. And then by his power and strength, we're not to let sexual sin live. We're to put off sinful attitudes such as anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from our mouths. Since we are new creations in Christ, having laid aside the old self, and put on the new self, being renewed continually habitually to a true knowledge of him, since that's what's happening, we are then to throw off these things. We're to say no, we're to put them off, we're not to let them live. We're to effectively take them off as a rotten garment and toss it to the side. And then we saw because we've been chosen, we are holy and beloved, we are to put on the character of Christ. We're to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also shall you. And remember, this is all summed up in the context of love. And beyond these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. So you're putting on the character of Christ, 
and love is the thing that pulls it all together, then you think that's all we need. No, there's more to it. We need to have something to help us gauge where we're really at. There are some people who can put on a faux humility. They can put off anger. They can set it aside. They can do it. Then they don't know the Lord at all. They can put on things that appear to be nice. Take, for instance, some Mormons. They're some really nice people. But they are in their sins and they are corrupt before God because they have rejected Jesus Christ and they're on their way to hell. It's an external show because their hearts are corrupt. The outside is clean. But here we're going to see there's something that's going to guide, it's going to umpire, it's going to help us understand if what we're doing is really from the Lord or not. So we're going to need this. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Put everything off like a dirty garment, those sins. Put on Christ, put on those things of him. And now he's going to talk about the heart motives, the heart motives that are guiding these things, the things that are behind. You see, because if I don't have the peace of Christ ruling and I'm putting off anger, I'm really not putting it off at all. It's when God's peace is guiding me and leading me in the context of relationship with him that I'm not going to enter into that anger. I don't want to. It's contrary to that relationship I have with the Lord and what his will for me is. So then we have the command here, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, let it rule in your hearts. Now, the term heart in Scripture is synonymous with the mind. As, you know, speaking of the evil man in Proverbs, so he thinks, so he is. You know, the way you think, that's who you are. Your heart and mind are together. Some say, well, it didn't get from his mind to his heart. It's the same thing. He just, he didn't believe it. He didn't take it in. The reality is what we think, and we see this throughout Scripture, those things used simultaneously. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's in your thinking. That's in who you are. Let it rule your mindset. Let it rule your thoughts, as we're going to see. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the most obvious thing we've got to look at here is, it says the peace of Christ. What does that mean? The peace of Christ. Well, we know that Scripture reveals God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and that we see in Scripture that each person, God in total, is characterized by peace. God is characterized by peace. And you say, what is peace? Well, between differing parties, it's the opposite of division, dissension, conflict, and war in terms of parties, right? But in terms of a character or disposition, it is the lack of anxiety, fear, confusion, and it speaks of harmony, peace, and tranquility. It's a lack, and we're going to see a little later on all the things it's a lack of, and includes those. Harmony, peace, and tranquility, as we'll say. Now, Scripture reveals that God is characterized by peace. Indeed, he is named the God of peace multiple times. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. The God of peace, he's the one who does it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up the great shepherd from the dead, the blood of the eternal covenant through that, even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good work to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace does the work. Romans 15, 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's not the God of confusion. He's not the God of fear. He's not the God of anxiety. He's not the God of strife. He's the God of peace. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hey, he's going to take care of that, right? 
Now, we see also in Scripture the term the Lord of Peace. It's interesting. Second Thessalonians 3.16, mark this verse. You can write it down, make a note of it, or just remember it. Now may the Lord of Peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Isn't that a great verse? In every circumstance. That's God's desire. The Lord of Peace. He's the sovereign over peace. You want peace. It comes from the God of peace, the one who is sovereign over true peace. The world has its own peace. God has his peace. Yes, say, Very important. And we know from Isaiah 9, 6 that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And in our passage, we see that it is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. The term Christos uh, and its Hebrew counterpart speaks of the anointed one. It speaks of the king. It speaks of the one who would reign on David's throne forever. The one who would need to suffer first for the glories to follow. It speaks of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so here, may the peace of the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, who died for you and rose from the dead, may that one actually be that which is ruling in your heart. The peace of Christ, or Christ's peace. May the peace of the exalted Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who we are setting our minds on, may that be ruling your hearts. So then, first of all, God is characterized by peace. And we see that his son is characterized by peace, being God the Son. And we see that it's the peace of Christ. Now, the world, I mentioned, is looking for peace. The world's looking for it. The world wants peace, and it will never receive God's peace apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. You see, because their peace is not a true peace. You see, sin is in the way. God declares in Isaiah 57, verse 21, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's zero of God's peace. There's zero of God's peace for the wicked because sin is in the way, and peace comes from God in a real relationship with him. The only way to have peace is to have a true relationship with the Lord of peace. You see, when we encounter God's grace through Jesus Christ, we receive his peace. When you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we first of all have positional peace with God. We were at enmity. There was no peace. But we receive that peace. Having been justified by faith, therefore, Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself, Ephesians chapter 2, is our peace. He brought together in salvation Jews and Gentiles. He brought together those groups in one group in Christ, and he's building them up, Ephesians chapter 2. He himself is our peace. We know from Colossians chapter 1, if you look back a little bit, verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, that's Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. So if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not trusted in him, believing he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you don't have peace, but you can have peace today. Peace with God and then practical peace in every circumstance you will allow him to have in your life. It's up to you as we'll see how much you allow him to have peace in your life. He's willing to give you peace in every circumstance if you'll allow it. And we'll see how that's done. So then, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And you'll have peace with God. 
So we receive positional peace when we're reconciled through faith in Jesus Christ. But all these different circumstances we have, I'm sure you've maybe had a lack of peace today, driving on the road here, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, something's happened. You hear of something that's distressing, whatever it might be. Look at the news, that'll suck your peace right out right away, right? The reality is, there's a lot of things that cause us to not have peace. But as we've seen, it is God's desire that we have peace in every circumstance. That's his desire. And he is the Lord of peace, and he'll do it if we allow him. You see, God's desire is to have peace, and it's also his desire for that true peace, not a faux peace, not a world's peace, but that true peace to rule in our hearts. So what does this practical peace look like, biblically speaking? What does that look like? What does God's practical peace look like? What does that look like? We read this earlier, but turn to John 14. So we've seen positional peace through Jesus Christ. Now what about practical peace? What does it look like that we should have? And I don't want to answer this from my own wisdom or understanding or experience. I want to answer it from the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? John 14, 27, this is the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, and he is going to be leaving them, going to the cross, and he is sending, as we'll see, his spirit. And he says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. I leave it with you. He says, my peace I give to you. That's Jesus' peace. That's the peace of Christ. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, let it not be fearful. Well, first of all, we see God's peace doesn't have trouble involved with it. God's peace doesn't have fear involved with it, right? If we've got God's peace, we don't need to be troubled or fearful, right? We're going to see that, right? We know from Philippians 4 that this peace is a peace that surpasses comprehension. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Verse 6 With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension. You can't figure it out. It's beyond what you could think. Okay, That's another element of God's peace. Well, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. So God's peace doesn't have anxiety in it. You want to know what God's peace is? If anxiety's there, that's not God's peace. It's not there. When you got anxiety, God's peace is not there. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we wrap up our time together today, you talked about those who reject the truth and how they will experience unrest in their souls. But what about Christians? Is it possible for a believer to experience a lack of peace? 
You know, Dave, certainly when a true believer sins, he or she will experience conflict and turmoil within their soul, and and ultimately a lack of peace will result. And yet with that in mind, let me say, for the true believer, this lack of peace should only be a temporary state of being, because we should be confessing our sins on a continual basis. But Dave, if you find yourself living a life of continual disobedience, I would encourage you to check to see where your heart is really at, to see if you're really in the faith. You see, obedience in the right context of a relationship with Jesus Christ brings real peace and joy as we walk with our Lord, and and that peace is that which surpasses our comprehension. So then, if you long for peace today, then come to the Lord on his terms, confess your sin, and he will restore you in a right relationship with him. And friend, if you've never known true peace, come to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and trust in him for salvation and you will find true peace flooding your soul. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.